This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey. I am Ben Goats, one of your Golden Knights beat reporters for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, how's it going, man? Ooh, busy. Uh, some stuff happened. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. So, you know, got a lot to chat about today, huh? I would agree. Yeah, some stuff came across my desk. Actually, that's not even true. We don't have desks anymore. We work from home. What is life? Uh, but some stuff did happen with the Golden Knights that we're going to talk about and probably spend most of the show discussing today because, yeah, if you had heard or have been away from your phone for a couple days or something, some major news happened uh, with the Golden Knights on Tuesday. We are recording this on uh, Wednesday afternoon in between the Golden Knights Tuesday game and Thursday game, assuming as we are currently right now that there is going to be a Thursday game. Uh, the fact that that is a question, of course, is something that uh, we're going to get into really quick. Before we do that, I want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal. Hey, those are the people that employ us. They're really nice. You should uh, subscribe to the paper because not only do you get all of our awesome stuff, which of course now is going to include Silver Knights content every week. Uh, there's like all sorts of stuff that come in the paper. It's wild. They write about business and health and just local news and crime. It's crazy. All for a very low price. You can get, you know, both the print and digital editions. It's great. Uh, also remind everyone, uh, if you could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. It would be very much appreciated. All right. Uh, let's Good get into sell. it. Thank you. I try really hard. This is this is why I make the very small dollars at this company. Uh, let's yeah. get into the, the craziness that uh, happened news-wise yesterday. Uh, I'm just going to go over the facts really quick, and then Dave and I will discuss them. But it's going to take me a while to do it because a lot happened. Uh, so like I said, we're recording this on Wednesday. Yesterday. Tuesday, a member of the Golden Knights coaching staff tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, before we even get any further, just want a quick pause and say, uh, we don't know the identity of this coach yet, but whoever uh, they are, thoughts to them and their family, first of all, because COVID-19 is obviously something to take very seriously and is not a joke. Uh, because of that positive test, all of the Knights NHL coaches, which of course include uh, Pete DeBoer, Assistant Steve Spot, Ryan McGill, and Ryan Craig, plus goaltending coach Mike Rosati, self-isolated. To be clear, that does not mean that all of those coaches 
were exposed or tested positive for COVID-19. In fact, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon said uh, after the Knights game yesterday that most of those coaches tested negative. But just to be cautious and based on the NHL's COVID-19 protocols, uh, because at least one member of the staff tested positive, they all self-isolated. McCrimmon said none of the team's players were tested Tuesday morning as part of kind of the regular routine for the NHL's COVID-19 protocols, um, they all tested negative. So Tuesday's game against the St. Louis Blues went ahead as scheduled. McCrimmon said not playing the game was never really a consideration. And to follow up on that, um, as of right now, Wednesday, no Knights players have appeared on the NHL's list of players unable to practice or play because of the COVID-19 protocols. Um, so no Knights are on that list yet. We'll see if they appear on that list tomorrow. It has to be updated by 5 p.m. local time on game days. Uh, if you're listening to this and for whatever reason, a nice player has appeared on that uh, tomorrow on Thursday. Uh, just note that just because a player appears on that list does not necessarily mean that they themselves had a positive test. Uh, people can also appear on that list if they were uh, you know, potentially exposed or considered a close contact or things like that. So the NHL does not have a list of players who necessarily test positive for COVID-19. Like I said, that list is um, specifically for players who are unable to practice or play because of a variety of issues surrounding COVID-19. So, you know, just want to make sure that if that were to happen in the future, no one jumps to conclusions there. But for now, like I said, as of Wednesday, no nights are on that list. Uh, with those coaches self-isolating, McCrimmon basically became acting head coach for the team's game yesterday against the St. Louis Blues. And his assistants were Silver Knights coach Manny Viveros and the Silver Knights assistants, Joel Ward and Jamie Hewart. Uh, the Knights then closed City National Arena to the team today, Wednesday, and they did practice so that they could further assess how much, if at all, the virus had basically spread. And meanwhile, the Silver Knights coaches... Uh, because they are now part of the NHL's COVID protocols because they were involved in the game last night, uh, were not on the ice for their team's practice as part of training camp today. They were up above at Lifeguard Arena, kind of watching from a balcony. And veteran forward Patrick Brown, who did get a cameo with the Golden Knights last season and also in the postseason, uh, he actually ran practice. Uh, Viveros and... Uh, his staff are expected, at least according to him, Manny Viveros, to be behind the bench again tomorrow against the Blues. Uh, he mentioned that he thinks that Brown is going to run practice for the Silver Knights again tomorrow. Uh, he said he's expecting to run or help run the Knights kind of pregame video session tomorrow morning before they play the Blues. He said the Knights assistant coaches are still going to kind of cut up video clips like they normally would, but they're going to send them to the Silver Knights staff to kind of uh, go over and then present to the Golden Knights players. So we haven't gotten official word as of now as to whether that will actually be the case, whether McCrimmon and the Silver Knights coaching staff will be basically the Knights acting NHL coaches again on Thursday. Uh, but based on everything Viveros uh, said, it certainly appears to be trending that way. And um, like I said, with all that uh, kind of news there, we do expect the Knights play tomorrow. Uh, McCrimmon said Tuesday after the game that he certainly expected that game to go on as scheduled. But obviously there is 
a lot that can still happen, a lot that is still unknown. So we will just have to kind of wait and see a little bit as well. That's kind of the full rundown to where we are right now as of Wednesday afternoon. Dave, is there anything I missed there? Probably, but just because there's so much stuff going on. Um, But no, I think that pretty much covers it. I mean, I think the interesting thing to me, and I I think we're going to get into maybe a little of this. um, The interesting thing to me as I've gone through a lot of this stuff is in terms of the timeline, there are things that depend on whether the coach who tested positive was symptomatic or asymptomatic. and whether that he developed symptoms during the isolation period that he's going to have to go through. Um, that will determine how long that coach will be out. Um, essentially 10 days. I think that's, that's kind of, I mean, without like, well, you know what? Okay. I'll just read it since I have it in front of me. It says they can return quote, if at least 10 days have passed since symptoms first appeared and at least 24 hours have passed since the last fever without the use of fever reducing medications and symptoms have improved. So a lot of kind of legalese to basically say, you know, once you feel better after 10 days, uh, I believe you should be good to go. What's kind of interesting with this in a way is for the other coaches and what's determined and what's phrased in the the NHL protocols as close contacts and also what is referred to as high risk close contacts. And there are two very different sets of guidelines for, for those two, I guess, categories, let's call them. So basically it says here, if you are a close contact uh, and you test positive, obviously you would be subject to all the same, you know, guidelines and, and provisions. If you test negative, it says, quote, they shall not be subject to quarantine provided the individual remains asymptomatic and free of fever and daily PCR testing is done and results are negative on each occasion for a 14-day period. So I find that a little bit interesting. And then I'll go to this too because the high-risk close contact if if they're determined to be that, they would be subject to a quarantine period that's basically anywhere from like seven to fourteen days, and it's kind of depending on how likely they are that they contracted COVID and and then all that. Um, it's a little. It sounds a little bit subjective from from that, but I find it interesting based on what what Manny Vivero said that he expects them to be on the bench because if I'm interpreting this correctly. And I'm, I might not be, but I take that to mean that the other coaches were high risk, close contact, and that they could be out for seven to 14 days. Again, this is really hard for me to ter- determine, and I'm trying not to put bad information out there. I'm trying to present, you know, in the story that that's going to, that's going on online. And, and as we talk about this, you know, this, this is what's in the protocol and, and, Kelly McCrimmon himself after the game Tuesday night didn't even sound like he was sure what was going to happen. And it sounded like today there was a lot of, okay, we have to find out, you know, what's going on going forward. But I think it leaves some gray area and and at least some questions as to, you know, potentially how long the coaches could be out. Yeah. I mean, to your point about gray area, you mentioned that Viveros expects to be 
on the bench Thursday. He also expects to be back on the Silver Knights bench on Friday because they have their first preseason game on Friday against the San Jose Barracuda. And he said, no, no, I'll be there for that uh, in his uh, you know Zoom press conference today. Now, whether that's just him saying, you know, like the Knights will like kind of release me from NHL duties because, you know, they know how important that game is, you know, for me and the team, that could be one interpretation. Or, of course, obviously, there's the well, no, they expect to need me on Thursday. But hey, Friday, they'll be all good or at least good enough where I can go back with the the Silver Knights team. You can obviously interpret that either way. So, as you said, I think there's a lot that the Golden Knights as an organization are still determining here. Because as you mentioned, the timeline is nuts. Uh, you know, basically Manny Vivero said today that he got a call around two o'clock. They had wrapped up kind of Silver Knights training camp for the day. Uh, and they said, hey, uh, we might need you for the NHL game tonight. So he all of a sudden had a quick tell his staff like, uh, we're working late tonight, boys. And they had to get a second COVID test done because they get tested daily as well as part of their kind of training camp routine. But because they were going to hop over to the NHL side and get involved with the kind of all the NHL protocols, they had to take a second COVID-19 test that day. Uh, obviously, all tested negative. Had to rush home, change, get to T-Mobile Arena. So like I said, they were told around 2 o'clock that this was a possibility. The game started at 6, so they got to the rink at about 4 p.m. and, you know, had to all of a sudden probably meet a lot of these players or interact with them uh, for the first time and, you know, take on one of the better teams in the Knights division. And uh, the Knights actually uh, played pretty well for the most part last night. They lost 5-4 in a shootout, but, uh, you know, it probably is crazy how much was still, you know, unknown by the time uh, General Manager Kelly McCrimmon did kind of do his post-game press conference and it was even a delayed post-game press conference from him. The players went first and then there was kind of a, a big gap between the players and McCrimmon uh, likely because understandably he was trying to make sure he had all the information he could uh, before kind of taking it out into the public, Dave. Yeah. And I mean, again, I just think, I, I, you know what, actually I'll say this. I was actually, Mm, pleasantly pleased. Uh, I don't want to say surprised, but you know, just at how open and frank he was. Uh, some of the questions he got were very direct last night after the game, and he was able to provide, you know, at least probably some more answers that I th- than I thought he was going to be able to. I was expecting a lot of, you know, can't answer that. That's got to come from the NHL, et cetera, et cetera. So, I, you know, I think in a lot of ways, you know, we have to get used to this. There's a potential. You know, for this to happen down the road, uh, we've seen it with a bunch of different teams. You know, clearly Dallas Stars had a, you know, what Bill Daly called an outbreak, you know, with 17 players testing positive. The Carolina Hurricanes have had games postponed. Capitals got fined $100,000, you know, when they had basically Alex Ovechkin and his buddies hanging out in the hotel room. Uh, So, you know, I think, and and you can bring this up too. I mean, Alec Martinez talked about this after the game, and I think some players talked about this after the game, that, that this is going to be something that they have to get used to, I think, in a lot of ways. That, you know, it's, 
potential for at any point a coach could have you know another positive test a false positive you know whatever all, all these different things that could pop up where they have to be ready and on their toes and and you know as alec alec martinez said be professional basically so i i think you know again it's it's unique it's a it's a unique season we're seeing already you know in other leagues the nba uh, certainly just some of the issues that they've had. You, you look at the COVID list that comes out. And again, let's reiterate that no players for the Golden Knights were on that. So, you know, clearly if they're testing in the morning on Tuesday, they're testing in the morning on Wednesday as we record this, that at least so far, nothing has has popped up. But it's, it's going to continue to be something that we talk about probably on this podcast for, you know, for the rest of the season in some way, shape or form, it's all going to sort of be related to it, whether it's taxi squad stuff or, you know, players coming up and down, uh, health coaches, whatever it might be. So I think that's probably just the lesson to be learned from all this is we're, you know, what, seven games into the season for the golden Knights. And, and we should probably expect that this isn't the last time that, that we'll have this issue. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Right. I mean, people who followed the Raiders all season are certainly not, you know, probably necessarily going to be surprised by the amount of shuffling that will go on because the Raiders had, you know, players you know, in and out of uh, their lineup, you know, because they were on a COVID list all season. I mean, you know, in terms of coaches, think about the Cleveland Browns, you know, their first playoff game in forever. And their head coach, Kevin Stefanski was watching from his basement because he was exposed to COVID-19. So uh, the Knights were the first NHL team to have uh, this specific situation in terms of coaches happen to them. Uh, but it's something that other teams and other professional sports leagues uh, in the U.S. have been dealing with. And we'll see how many in the NHL ultimately have to deal with it as well. The Martinez quote that you brought up, Dave, I think is, uh, you know, obviously interesting and telling about, you know, kind of what this season will ultimately probably bring. Um, so we'll kind of probably wrap up our discussion of that news there. Uh, we'd obviously like to even dig into it further, but there's still so much that we don't know and we'll probably come to know in the days ahead. So uh, like I said, please check back to reviewjournal.com for all your information there. We will be providing updates as soon as we get them. But uh, for now, we just kind of have to wait and see what else comes out. So uh, moving you know, to the side to discuss some kind of on the ice stuff, because obviously for the coming days, kind of this off ice cloud is going to hang over the Golden Knights. Uh, the team has gone two one and one since we last talked, I believe. Uh, their wing duo is still just carrying them. Mark Stone is tied for third in the NHL in points uh, as of Wednesday afternoon when we're recording this with 11. And Max Pacioretty is tied for first in goals with Colorado's Miko Rantanen. With six, uh, Pacioretty actually had the seventh hat trick of his career last night against the Blues and his first in a Knights uniform. Uh, another kind of 
interesting thing that appears to be happening that we should get into is uh, we talked about their kind of lineup configuration a lot so far this year. The fact that they open with 13 forwards and five defensemen and then two games in kind of switched back to the traditional 12-6. Well, they appear to be leaning toward kind of keeping the 12-6 around. We'll obviously see what happens tomorrow potentially. Uh, But Nick Haig appears to be kind of solidifying his lineup spot over Cody Glass. Um, As I mentioned, the Knights played uh, Glass, their first ever draft pick, number six overall in 2017. Uh, The first two games and then they played Hag the next two because they can only afford to have one of those guys on the roster at a time thanks to their kind of salary cap constraints and because they're keeping a rookie forward Keegan Colasar on the roster because he is not waiver exempt. And if they try to move him to their taxi squad or the American Hockey League, any other team in the NHL uh, would have the opportunity to claim him. I think we've gone over this a lot in recent weeks, but it probably bears repeating that uh, the Knights want to keep Keegan Colasar on the lo- on the roster to make sure they don't lose him because clearly at this point, they have an inkling out there that someone else would be interested in him if they try to pass him through waivers. Um, so like I said, Glass got the first two games, Hay got the next two, then Glass played in game five, but now Haig has played in the Knights' last two games, uh, which are both pretty strong efforts by the team, despite the fact that they went uh, 1-0-1 with a shootout loss to the Blues last night. Uh, and I don't think this is a kind of indictment on Glass's play by any means. I think he's actually looked a lot more comfortable in the NHL this season compared to his rookie year. And certainly all of that kind of strength he talked about gaining in the offseason appears to be showing up. Uh, but initially, there was an NHL Network interview that uh, you shared the other night, Dave, with uh, Pete DeBoer, where he basically said, uh, you know, he didn't think a lot of teams were going to be copying the 13 forwards, five defensemen setup. Uh, you know, he said he didn't think that having the 13th forward, which uh, was Colasar earlier in the year with Glass in the lineup, was actually that effective. And so I'm curious whether we're kind of seeing the gears turn in their mind here and say, one, I think Hag has actually played pretty well the last couple of games. Uh, but two, you know, them kind of coming around to thinking that the 13, five experiment might not have been, you know, all that beneficial. And maybe they are better off going with 12 and six for now, even if it means maybe sidelining glass more often than they would like. Yeah. That's what it seems like. I was going to say uh, it's, it's more about, I think the, lack of sustainability of the 13 five. And I think Pete DeBoer even sort of speculated on that, you know, going into the season that it might not be something that they can continue long-term, but they're going to try it, you know, let's see it. Uh, And I think they found out pretty quickly that it was taxing and it was putting a lot of stress on the defense. And like you said, you've got a forward, the 13th forward, who's basically, you know, eating up three minutes of ice time. It's chewing into, you know, Alex Tuck's effectiveness, I think you could argue. And, and certainly Pete DeBoer made his comment the other day about how it's on him uh, that he feels like Alex Tuck, you know, needs to be out there more and get should be uh, ha- having more ice time. And it's on Pete DeBoer to make sure that he's out there as the guy who's changing lines and things. So, you know, if Keegan Colasar is the 13th forward, has got to kind of rotate in and, and get a couple shifts and things like that, you know, it might eat into Alex Tuck's time and things. And Alex Tuck, I think, has played pretty well. Uh, did we talk about the emailer 
um, that sent me that stuff has been all over me about the salary cap. Was that, was that on here uh, on this podcast? I don't know. I think that was just the two of us going back and forth as we do. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, one of the radio things or whatever. So, so there's been an emailer that that's been giving me a hard time. And so shout out to him if he's listening. Um, but you know, it started in the uh, preseason with, you know, one of the five questions not being the salary cap issue. And, you know, sort of my outlook on a lot of this is that they've solved the problem. They put holding through waivers and it's not really an issue. They didn't lose anybody. It's not, it's not really, it's, it's sort of a non-issue to me in that sense, as, as far as like, you know, their ability to be salary cap compliant. Now, what I concede, and I, I don't know if this particular emailer is making this argument because he's not articulating it very well. He's just kind of giving me a hard time and bringing up references to the paper chase, which I find awesome because I remember that show when I was a kid. Um, but all that being said, what I really think it's an issue of is it's like it's asset management. This all comes down to Keegan Colasar and their, I guess, lack of willingness to put him through waivers, like you explained, and their their belief that he's going to get picked up. They don't want to lose him. Simple as that. And because they don't want to lose him, that then restricts their ability to, you know, put a certain roster out there. And I guess, yes, that relates to the salary cap. And I understand that. But it's not a, their ability to be cap compliant. Like if they got Keegan Colasar through waivers, my understanding is you could have Cody Glass and Nick Hague in a lineup, right? Mathematically, at least every time I've done that on cap friendly, I might be doing it wrong, but I think that works. And so the problem is not that. The problem is not the salary cap and the, you know, the the handcuffs that they've put themselves on or, or whatever that, you know, seemingly at least this emailer you know, his impression of it all is it, it's just simply they don't want to lose Keegan Colasar. And then the salary cap comes into play with that. But all of this, Nick Hague, Cody Glass and their development, is it being stunted and all the sorts of things that we could talk about with it? It all relates to just one thing, which is they don't want to put Keegan Colasar on waivers, at least not right now. Right. I mean, that's the absolute crux of the issue. Though I do think, yeah, it's uh, worth pointing out that it's interesting that, you know, because that they kind of extended themselves kind of cap wise this offseason in terms of adding Alex Petrangelo, keeping both their goaltenders. So they have $12 million of goalies worth or on the books. You know, that's the reason why they can't fit an extra uh, entry level contract onto the roster. Because while Cody Glass is, you know, obviously when he's in the NHL, uh, makes uh, more than you and I could ever dream to make in a year, Dave. NHL wise, he's not like crazy expensive. And obviously for a lot of NHL teams, it wouldn't be that hard to fit, you know, an extra entry level contract onto the NHL roster. Uh, but because the Knights kind of overextended themselves, they didn't leave themselves any wiggle room when it comes to kind of moving guys, you know, up and down. Uh, on the roster this year, they've been at 20 players the entire time, which is the minimum you can have because that's kind of the number of players they can afford to have on the roster right now. So they left themselves uh, no room to kind of sneak glass on if they also wanted hang on. And that's why, you know, I get why people are frustrated 
by the fact that Cody Glass isn't playing in the NHL right now. And I should also say, you know, that's not Keegan Colasar's fault. He's just a guy that's trying to make a name for himself in the NHL like any other rookie. And I think he's actually played pretty well when he hasn't been the 13th forward and when he hasn't been the fourth line center like he was for that one game. When he gets a regular shift at third line right wing, I think he's been pretty effective and he's kind of learning how he can affect an NHL game. And obviously that's going to take time for him to do like it will for any rookie, but it's not specifically his fault that Cody glass isn't playing in the NHL. It does speak to kind of, as you were hinting at the Knights overall asset management, because they are the ones that put themselves in this position. Right. And I concede that I, I understand that. And, and, and that's valid. Uh, I guess, you know, what I would counter or what I would say to that is every team that spends to the cap, it's, it's a season long thing. It's always going to be there. Like it's not a, it's not unique to this season, I guess, in that regard, because they, they are a cap team. So all of this stuff that we talk about in their maneuvering that they have to do. And like, I mean, I'm basically like, this is just getting into like that old story and like whether it should have been one of the five things. And I'm now justifying why it wasn't, but you know, it, it's look, the reality is the Knights spend to the cap ceiling. They, they had to make decisions. This was the sacrifice that they made to keep Marc-Andre Fleury and to add Alex Petrangelo to the, you know, to the roster uh, going into the season, everybody seemed to, and the issue, and, and I guess why I didn't include it and why I bring this all up is that the issue seemed to be how the heck are the Knights going to get under the salary cap and they're going to have to trade Max Pacioretty and they're going to have to trade this guy and all this stuff and whatever. And my contention was no, it's either somebody's going to get hurt and they put them on long-term IR, you know, or they fiddle with the taxi squad or do what they ended up doing, which is essentially put Nick Holden through waivers. And that's how they solved the problem. So that that's just, that's where I'm coming from on it was like, you know, can they get under the cap? Is that an issue? No, that was solved and they didn't lose anybody to do it. The Colasar thing to me is just a separate, I guess, uh, tributary, so to speak of the river. You know, if we're going to, if we're going to use this, bizarre analogy um it's it's effect it's like a cause and effect of it and and i get that i concede that but again to me it's more about their resistance to to losing keegan colasar and not necessarily the salary cap that's ancillary i guess to it yeah we'll see how this kind of all continues to shake out here whether they kind of keep going with the earlier plan where they were kind of alternating glass and Hague, or whether they really have made kind of a philosophical shift and just decided that, you know, 13, five isn't the way to go and that they're going to go with 12, six more often than not. Uh, but one more topic I want to hit before we get out of here is the goaltending. Uh, because obviously we talked about the expensive duel that the golden Knights have in Mark Andre Fleury and Robin Leonard so far, uh, Mark Andre Fleury, who we would expect to get the start tomorrow based on how the Knights have rotated those two so far has been absolutely fabulous through his first three starts. He has a 951 save percentage and a goals against average of one, literally one. Uh, Robin Leonard, on the other hand, has had back-to-back tough starts. Uh, he got the shootout loss yesterday. 
He allowed four goals in a game just once in his first 21 starts for the Knights, if you include the postseason. But now he's allowed four goals in each of his last two starts with the Knights. Uh, he, as I said, lost the shootout last night. He is nine and 24 in shootouts all time in his career. And he actually only has a 50.98 save percentage in shootouts. They just have never been kind of his thing. Uh, you know, Dave, Pete DeBoer said before the season started that he wanted to kind of alternate these two guys early until one of them, you know, took the reins. And he also kind of hinted earlier this week when people kind of circled back to those comments and asked him about them. You know, he said he might actually kind of keep up the equal rotation a little bit longer because it seemed to be working. And, you know, early on, the Knights were getting good goaltending from both those guys. Robin Leonard's first two starts were pretty good. His last two starts, not so much. So I guess from your perspective, is one goaltender showing based on their play that they should maybe be the guy and get a few more starts? Or, you know, is the fact that we're literally seven games into the season, is it too early to make that decision yet? Okay. So if you're asking me, has one guy played better than the other? Yes. Unequivocally. And I think that goes back to training camp. I said this before that I think Marc-Andre Fleury outplayed Robin Leonard in training camp. I actually admitted I thought that Fleury was going to get the the start on opening night in part because I thought if he truly kept it performance-based, that Fleury was better. Now, now, we didn't see the scrimmages. So, you know, at least at T-Mobile, we don't know what happened there and, you know, how much that that weighed into the final grade. Um you know, in terms of the midterm, the finals and all that. But what I will say is Marc-Andre Fleury has been the better goaltender. Uh, that's just, I don't, I don't think that's debatable at all. Statistically, and just the eye test as well. I mean, like you said, I, I thought Robin Leonard did a good job bouncing back last night, um, keeping them in it. Uh, but there were a couple goals that he definitely, that, that first one, I think he definitely wanted back. You know, there's there's been some other, you know, some other goals maybe, you know, not, not questioned, but just, you know, not, not, he's not making the, he's not making all the saves that you expect from him. I guess that's, that's probably the easiest way to say it. Mark Andre Fleury has. And, and now there's a separate question though, that you asked, which is basically like, does one guy deserve to start getting more starts than the other? And my answer to that, I guess is no. And I would say only because I don't see any reason to, deviate from the 50 50 that they've got going on right now. They have the best duo in the league. It's everything that they dreamed of. And I'm going to go back to a quote that, that Pete DeBoer said yesterday, and I'm going to uh, read it here. The players usually decide whether we make changes or not to that. And that doesn't necessarily mean the first time there's a stumble, you're going to pull the trigger and panic and make changes. The goalies will decide how long we go with it, but for our intention, I'd love to be able to roll this out for as long as we can. So uh, what I what I take from that, though, is the, well, I hate to use the phrase pull a trigger, but but just the panic part of it, that, oh, oh, Robin Leonard's had a couple bad starts, so now Marc-Andre Fleury has to be in there every game. Like, I don't even want to start with that mess. And I feel like if we, you know, look at this stuff seven games in and go, oh, well, he's outplayed him. That's Alan. Let's let Alan Walsh do that and send out his tweets with Marc-Andre Fleury stats and how great he is and 
and whatever. Like, like as long as the Golden Knights are winning and they can continue to go back and forth with this rotation, I just just stick with it, Pete. <laughs> you know, like like why deviate? But I will say, you know, once you get to a longer sample size, if things continue where Robin Leonard all of a sudden is, you know, giving up four goals on a consistent basis, he's not turning in the performances that we saw, you know, at the start of the season, then yeah, then then you absolutely bring it up. But but I guess seven games into it, I don't think we should start, you know, asking the question of like, does one guy deserve more? Just, you know, let let it let the 50-50 work, you know, the way that it has. And, you know, you're going to get a bad start or two in there. You're not going to win every game. So I, I agree with Pete DeBoer just because a guy loses or, you know, has a bad game or, or two. I don't think it's necessarily a reason right now to jump away from what's working. To your point about how well it's working last year, the Golden Knights were... 22nd in team t- team save percentage uh, this year, even with those two kind of what we would uh, deem below par starts from Robin Leonard, uh, the Knights are still 13th in team save percentage. So they've already moved nine spots up. And I think there's obviously reason to suggest that one half of that duo has reason to improve, though. Certainly Marc-Andre Fleury is probably not going to post a 950 save percentage all year, but who knows? We'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, he's probably going to get the start tonight. So, or not tonight, tomorrow night. And we'll see if we he can keep it up. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. Uh, as a reminder, we are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal this week. So make sure to check out all our written work there. Uh, and if you want to uh, subscribe, that would be much appreciated. Uh, same with this podcast. If you want to rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, as we mentioned, there's going to be a lot of news around this team in the coming days. So uh, we hope you check back in with us soon for all the latest. Until then, I'm Ben Goats. He's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast, and we'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.